Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 255, and today we are talking about books being released on April 14th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hi! Hello! It's nice to be talking to you at last. <laughs> yeah, we had some technical difficulties for a very long time, but now we can finally hear each other. Like, I could hear her, she couldn't hear me, or maybe it was the other way around first, I don't know. We've tried several different platforms. Uh, and here we are finally able to hear each other. <laughs> I'm glad we can. <laughs> yeah. That was We're fun. flying without a net this week, though, because we don't <laughs> have our trusty backup call recorder on Skype. So whatever happens, happens. You may just I get a one-sided file, guys. Sorry. <laughs> it's just yeah. going to have to be fine. Yep. It, that might be it. Uh, we do have some books to talk about today, which are great. Um, dates changing all the time. So as of Friday, April 10th, these books were due to come out on April 14th, uh, which is always subject to change. I'm still kind of amazed at how optimistic some publishers are in moving the dates. Like a lot <laughs> of them are getting kicked to 2021 now, but uh, I still get some that are like, oh, end of July. I'm like... I hope so. Yeah. Same. <laughs> you know, like, I hope we're out and buying books and everything is trying to get normal again by then. But, you know. There are a lot of things that are still, like, things that I have planned in my life for, like, June that are still hanging on, like, concerts and stuff. And I'm like, oh, baby, what is you doing? Like, you're, yeah. you're so cute. But, you know, fine. <laughs> yeah. I have tickets to see Guns N' Roses at the end of July at Fenway Park, which I just mm. don't think is going to happen now. It would be yeah. nice if it did, but... I just don't see it happening. Very sad. I guess we'll see. We'll see. Oh, that would be a bummer, though. I'm supposed to see Alanis Morissette and live my best 90s life, but, you know. Yeah. It's like, in the scheme of things, like, it's not that big a deal. We'll be okay. Totally. Like, if we miss these things. Um, Absolutely. kind of how I feel about my hair right now, too. Like, I have five inches of red roots now growing in (laughs) because I'm doomed to be a redhead, like, no matter what. So... (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's just hair. It'll be fine. But I have to um, moderate a panel for a virtual book conference uh, in like five weeks, I think. Of course you do. So I'm going to look like Billie Eilish with like two inches of red hair and then some blonde hair. I am rocking my best like Pepe Le Pew because I have naturally very dark hair, but I took after my mama with these insane white roots. So there's been a lot of headbands lately. (laughs) (laughs) That's, <laughs> like, all I can think of to hide it. We can start, like, a, a Twitter thread of, like, show your roots, you know? <laughs> That'll be the new thing. The roots challenge. Oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> We're losing it. We're losing it. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So we have some great books to talk about today. Before we do that, we're going to hear from a sponsor. And now we're going to talk about books uh, because, yeah, that's what we're here for and that's what we love. My first pick today is a book I love 
so much. Um, before I even start talking about it, before I even say what it is, I want to mention that trigger warnings for self-harm and body horror. This one is all the way through, right on the page, um, and I'm going to be talking about it right now. So if that is something that affects you, please skip ahead. Uh, so now back to my book. It is The Unsuitable by Molly Polig. I love this book. It is weird. It is dark. It is so good. It is a fiercely feminist gothic novel of manners and also body horror set in Victorian times. Uh, it's about a young woman named Isolt. So the author told me, uh, Molly Pollock told me that it's pronounced like insult without the N, which is kind of hard to say, like to wrap your mouth around it when you think about it. So it's like insult but without the N. So it's like Isolt. Uh, that's going to be my best translation of that. So her name is Isolt Wentz, and she is a young woman on the verge of being branded a spinster at the ripe old age of 27. Uh, she does not have a suitor. Uh, partly, mostly because she frightens them away. Uh, Isolt's mother uh, died giving birth to her, and she's been living alone with her father, uh, who kind of resents her for that fact, the fact that her mother died, and her governess, who just doesn't know what to do with her, um, because Isolt was injured when she was born, uh, and she has a scar on her neck, and she thinks that her mother lives in the scar. And as far as we know, um, her dead mother does live in the scar on her neck. Uh, and she talks to Isolt throughout her whole life. So it's almost like her mother is with her, uh, but she's not physically with her. Um, but now Isolt has, she's like getting tired of her father trying to marry her off. Uh, you know, he begs her to like behave when he invites families over possible suitors, but she eventually gets around to mentioning her, you know, uh, dead mother in her neck story and uh, freaks people out so um he's just about had it with her and to sort of punish her but also like get someone to take her off his hands he invites like the last eligible bachelor in town to dinner who happens to be a man who is entirely silver because of the medication that he has to take for a condition it has turned his skin and every part of him silver but Ak, instead of being, like, like frightened of this man, Aizel uh, is actually intrigued by him and thinks that maybe marrying him will bring her the freedom that she wants. And she not only, like, at this point wants freedom from her father, she wants freedom from her mother. Her mother has started to bother her, and she wants her mother to shut up. Uh, in the, her, her, you know, dead mother in her neck there talking to her. So... She is, you know, um, understandably lonely. Uh, she participates in a lot of uh, self-injury. And um, it is described right on the page there. And to try and, like, deal with her pain and her loneliness. But this book is... the It's the first time that I have read a novel that portrays... Because it does sound very strange, but it portrays self-harm in a respectful, comprehensive way. Uh, explains, like, Molly Pollock does an amazing job explaining, like, why Eisel finds it necessary and how it helps her, as opposed to, like, a lot of novels that just do it for sensational reasons, like, um, just to show that someone is upset, but but they don't do a good job explaining, like, why that is something that someone resorts to. I found this to be very respectful in that way. Um, and it also sort of 
sets fire to all preconceived notions uh, with regards to spinsterhood and self-image and mental illness in Victorian times. That also kind of ties into modern day uh, and what is expected of women. And it's just so imaginative and weird. And like I said, you know, it's not for everyone. There's some really distressing stuff going on in this book. Uh, But I am its biggest fan. So that is called The Unsuitable by Molly Polig. That cover is great. The old Ugh. stabby scissors. <laughs> yeah, like, so good. I just realized I think I recently heard an audiobook where they use that name, and I want to say it might be Isolt or Isolt. I don't know. Yeah, I like. I think I'm saying sure. it kind of wrong. I'm trying to say like insult without the N, and I just think that my stupid main tongue can't do it. You know? <laughs> it's like when I say the word horror, like I can't say it right. I don't know. <laughs> It's like, no, we will not be doing that today. <laughs> all good. We all do our best. <laughs> all right. So I will talk about my first pick now, which is Redemption Prep by Samuel Miller. So Redemption Prep is an elite prep school in this remote part of Utah that recruits students based on their specific skills. I, I want to say I remember that there's not even like an application process. You can't you know, get in of your own sort of effort. It's either like you're picked or you're not. And the school is super rooted in Christian ideology, even though, like, it's not a requirement that you be Christians. Most of the students don't appear to be, but the influence is definitely all over the place. Like, uh, mass attendance is mandatory. I think they go five days a week or maybe every day. Um, It's been a bit since I read this, but you'll you'll basically be your big time busted if you fail to attend. So, like, you got to go to mass. There's cameras everywhere on the campus, the quote-unquote maintenance staff carries tasers so like you better get your button line because if not like someone's gonna catch you so there's four main characters emma is this really talented poet and sort of the girl that like everybody knows and everybody likes her best friend nisha uh the other main character is her um, emma's basketball star boyfriend aiden and then this other kid named evan who is like super smart he's a chess wizard but he is really socially awkward, like doesn't pick up on social cues, but he sees patterns in everything, including what he believes are patterns in Emma's like everyday behavior. So the book opens, it's told from, it, it varies, it like switches back and forth from perspectives of Emma, Aiden, and Nisha. And when the book opens, it's on a night when the kids are all like on their way to mass. But a few things are going on. Emma is like on her way to mass, but she appears to be like a little bit skittish. Nisha is running late to mass because she is arranging a drug deal because, hey, her and Emma have this like little side hustle going on that like nobody knows about with some experimental stuff. And then Aiden, you know, the the basketball star boyfriend like meets Emma outside of mass and they have this kind of cryptic exchange. And Evan the whole time is sort of just like a creeper in the background, like observing all of this and staring at Emma a little too hard. He actually gets called out for it. And so they they all, you know, everybody finally goes into mass. Church is about to begin. Evan sort of quietly sneaks out because he is going to go execute this mysterious plan that involves breaking into Emma's room. And then right as mass starts, Aiden's friend Eddie has this extreme anxiety attack and he gets really violent. Apparently it's a thing that has happened before because people know what's happening. As soon as they hear his like low moans and they realize he's about to lose it, it just creates absolute chaos. Like people start running and, you know, trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. Eddie is swinging and like punching at people with his fists or with a Bible. Like it's, it's bad. Uh, Him and Aiden get into it and he actually knocks Aiden out cold. It's, it's like a pretty big deal. 
in the middle of this, even though everybody just saw Emma, like Emma came in, she sat down, she always sits in some of the first few pews, you know, she was there one second, but all of a sudden she's gone. Like no one knows where she went. Everybody else seems to be accounted for. People are looking for her. It gets serious enough to the point where the school basically says like, hey, everybody return to your dorm rooms immediately, like something is going on. But Emma is not found. So an investigation ensues. And this is where like the thick of the plot kind of comes in. Nisha, Aiden, and Evan are all really invested in wanting to find her, but they all want to do so for like very, very different reasons. (laughs) They have secrets of their own and, you know, motivations that will reveal themselves over time. And it becomes evident that A, not everybody wants Emma to be found, and B, that the school itself also has some pretty dark secrets. So I picked this one up because... I just got off of marathoning the Maureen Johnson Truly Devious books. And I was like, oh, yes, elite boarding prep school situation where, like, you get picked and don't know why. Like, yeah, give me some of that. It has some of that feeling, but it is definitely a little bit darker and a little more meandering. So I will say that is the one part that I kind of had a teeny bit of a, you know, in these times, it's sometimes hard to focus on reading. And I had to, like, course correct when my mind would start to wander because the book itself would wander too. And I'm like, yeah, 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 like, get back to the point. I want to know where Emma is. Um, so there are, and there, it's, you know, a boarding prep school situation. So every once in a while, the students are like kind of low-key annoying. And by low-key, I mean more like high-key. But it was still a book that like kept me guessing and I wanted to know what happened. And I tend to like stuff that's got like creepy church <laughs> and or like prep school stuff. So um, yeah, that is called Redemption Prep by Samuel Miller. This has like nothing to do with anything except for the fact that it's teenage kids at school, but I recently had to write a piece about um, Pretty Little Liars oh. for some content creation that we were doing, and uh, that sh- it was nothing like I thought it was. I had no idea what that book slash TV show was about at all, apparently. <laughs> apparently, I didn't know either because somebody was explaining it to me, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never saw the show, and I knew they were based on books, but I was reading the descriptions, and I was like, oh, so this is what it's about. No idea. So, but it's like it's dark. I like that kind of like you know. I grew up reading Lois Duncan, which is like killing Mister uh, Griffith and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly, so I, mean, I love that book. We're fine. We can read this stuff. <laughs> so my next pick also deals with some dark subject matter, including suicide. So if that is something that affects you, I would skip this discussion and uh, this book. But it is so wonderful. It is called Braised Pork by On You. It might have my favorite cover of the year. I'm not entirely certain, but it's in the running, definitely, for favorite cover of the year. Um, It is a debut novel uh, by an author living in Beijing. Uh, An Yu is from Beijing. She spent some time in the States uh, studying, going to school, and she then moved back to Beijing, but she writes in English. Uh, And so this is about a young woman named Jia Jia, who uh, gets up one day, it's like a regular normal day, she has breakfast with her husband, a little while later he goes to take a bath, and a little while after that she finds him dead in the bathtub. And she doesn't know, like, what happened. He is drowned in the bathtub. And there is a sketch next to him of this, like, fishman sort of illustration um, that she finds. And she's not sure, like, what that means. Now, a little background on uh, Jia Jia's uh, marriage. She married her husband sort of as, like, a marriage of convenience. Um, She is a painter, which is not a profession that brings in a lot of money for most people in Beijing and is kind of also looked down on. So 
she married this businessman who was very successful and very wealthy uh, in the hopes that he would support her. Although he himself was not, uh, he did not approve of of her painting, really. But he did love her. Um, and so now, all of a sudden, she's been released from this marriage. She has this sketch of a fish man, and she doesn't know why, why it was next to him in the bathroom, uh, or really what happened to him. And she's going to go hunt for the meaning behind this illustration. Um, and so not only is she now like freed from this marriage, but she's also free to pursue uh, like a passionate romance with someone. She hasn't had one in such a long time uh, because she and her husband were not, were not intimate in that way, really. So she goes on this like journey to kind of, because uh, she's like, she doesn't have any money and she's run out of money and, you know, things are, are bothering her. And I might be like roaming all over the place with my description here, but this book also is sort of loosely plotted in that way. And so she goes to try and figure out the meaning of this painting, following first her husband's path, which leads her to Tibet, and then uh, she turns to her own past and examines things. Uh, it's really beautiful. This book is very beautiful. Um, the descriptions of like water and nature and just some of the imagery is lovely. But I will say that if you need your answers to everything in a book or even a real point to the plot, uh, this might not be the book for you. But it is wonderful. It is called Braised Pork by An Yu. And uh, oh, so speaking of braised pork. <laughs> Can't wait to see where this goes. Well, yeah. what's the vegan going to say about braised pork? Uh, it just made me think of this because uh, I watched Parasite last night, which is set oh. in South Korea, but they talk about eating braised pork there, and it was such a good movie. It was like, it lived up to the hype. I was like, thank you, because I always feel like I'm so disappointed when I watch things that everyone tells me are amazing, and then I'm like, hmm, but I thought it was so good. I'm so glad you said that because that is my exact syndrome. People hate me because I rarely am watching like the television or movies that everybody else is. And it's not to be a snob. I just tend to, I don't know if I just let people overhype things for me, mm -hmm. but I was just going to sit down to watch Parasite this weekend. I was like, it's time. And that's a nice cosign. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I had forgotten that he directed The Host, which is like this exactly. crazy monster movie that I loved a long time ago. I actually used to have a, a movie poster of it in my bedroom until my cats shredded it. Uh, many apartments ago. All right. So anyway, that's my my non-book recommendation this week is Parasite. It is indeed worthy of all four Oscars it received. Now it's your turn. My turn. This is a hard pivot. Um, <laughs> uh, my next book is Antigone Rising, The Subversive Power of the Ancient Myths by Helen Morales. So I this is the shortest book that I read for this week. I want to say it's coming in at I don't know, 220 pages. And yet when I would kind of try to practice talking about it, it's the one I would ramble about the longest. So my bad, just buckle in. Helen Morales is a classicist and teaches in the Hellenic or Helen. I always forget how to say that word. Hellenic, Hellenic studies department at UCSB, uh, University of California, Santa Barbara. She has all sorts of academic accolades to her name. But one of my favorite tidbits is that she was taught by Mary Beard while studying at Cambridge. I thought that was pretty cool. And so this book is all about how, you probably guessed from the subtitle, how myths open up new ways of looking at the world. But she also takes a really critical look at the way that they've been used thus far. So as she, you know, says kind of all in the prologue, ancient Greeks and, or ancient Greek and Roman religion were polytheistic, obviously, and while the gods 
all demanded worship. There were no religious texts or like a set of commandments to follow or abide the way is essentially the case for most modern like Christian-based religions, monotheistic religions. And so this means that mythological narratives became a way of thinking a long time ago through like complicated moral dilemmas. Like you used myth. Again, you didn't have this rubric of like, these are the 10 commandments or the, these are the laws that you must adhere to, but people did use myths and these like classical antiquities to figure out how to quote unquote be better people. And we return to them in particular because they offer an alternative to sort of the black and white good versus evil, like oversimplified dichotomy that you see in most of like modern stuff. And myths were at the time also widely known and authoritative, regardless of like class. So you did, it was, you know, the educated and the non-educated, like everybody sort of knew these stories way back when, whereas now there doesn't seem to be like a single text or even um, story that is as common. Like she talks about going into classrooms and saying like, what's the one piece of text that you think all of you no, regardless of like where you were raised, what part of the world, what class. And it really the closest it comes is like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> it's not the Bible. It's not the Quran. It's not Walt Whitman, like, you know, et cetera. So then she does this deep dive into how mythology has been used to justify fascism, white supremacy, misogyny. And she, she breaks it down into these two sections, which like, God, I love this book so much. So the first half, she focuses on how classical mythology has often been read and misread Sometimes to serve progressive agendas, but often not, like the reverse. Specifically, the way in which, like, ancient mythology is appropriated in ways that are harmful to women. Like, she dives deep into how Hippocrates has been misread and misinterpreted to serve the, like, dieting agenda, and, like, why women in particular need to, like, look a certain size and, like, go through a certain amount of rigmarole to achieve the quote unquote, like, perfect body, and how women are seen as property dating all the way back to Greek myths about killing the Amazons and how you know, just the way that the Greeks celebrated the killing of these powerful women warriors, we see a direct parallel to like our current obsession and unfortunately proclivity towards like violence against women, especially women who, you know, like the Amazons exercise agency and independence, who own their sexuality, that kind of thing. And she then in the second half of the book takes a look at modern figures, which she goes, she likes Beyonce, so I proved to that because I'm a bit of a Beyonce nut. Uh, she talks about Beyonce in her ape, I can't say the word, so ape-ish video, uh, novelist Ali Smith in her book Girl Meets Boy, several other modern figures, and talks about how these people, mostly women, I believe, are reinterpreting and reimagining and sort of remixing myths as acts of resistance, taking the opposite tack, whereas, you know, mythology has often been used for all these negative agendas to say, like, no, like, you know, culture isn't owned by a specific class, like it's all of ours. So it's thus ours to reclaim and redefine like the power in it. I loved it. Again, it is really short, but she just manages to do a lot in those 222 pages. She does talk again about people like Allie Smith and Beyonce, but also in about like Aisha Evans and Greta Thunberg and Malala. She just does this really awesome job of connecting the ways in which these, you know, really, really old texts are very much still affecting Everything from the way that you argue, you know, your rhetoric to the way that we treat women, et cetera, in ways that are really accessible. None of it sounds like particularly esoteric, even though it's clear she like knows her stuff like the back of her hand. And then she does. Oh, it's just so great. You will learn a ton about everyone from Antigone to Lysistrata and Odysseus. It's just so informative. And she also has another book that I think is called like 
not classics for dummies, but something like that that is equally amazing at just sort of breaking down some of these myths that are, you know, super old and that you might think you know, but maybe you'll learn some new ones. So anyway, it's really, really great. Again, super quick read. You can get that done in a day. That's Antigone Rising, The Subversive Power of the Ancient Myths by Helen Morales. Okay. Doing a complete 180 again. My next pick is Simon the Fiddler by Paulette Giles. Uh, If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that if I had to pick a favorite time period to read about, it is post-Civil War. Uh, I love the work that is written about it. I love shows and movies set in that time. Deadwood remains my favorite TV show of all time, the first two seasons anyway. Um, I just love that time period. And one of my favorite books set in that time period is News of the World by Paulette Giles, which came out a few years ago. Was a lot, was shortlisted for the National Book Award. Um, such a great book, and I believe Tom Hanks is going to be starring in the movie that they will be making soon or have made. Um, and so this is a new novel set in that same time period, but where News of the World is sort of like a found family adventure. This book is probably like a hundred or so more pages than News of the World, and it is a love story. It is about a young man named Simon and. I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but he's a fiddler. And he comes from Kentucky, but they lost their home in the war, and he kind of wanders around. Um, Because he is small in stature and looks very young, uh, he has avoided uh, being uh, drafted into the war. He's avoided fighting. But when he is in Texas, he ends up in this bar brawl and uh, is captured by the conscriptors and is conscripted into the Confederate Army, uh, into their band. And so now he's part of this, like, traveling band for the Confederate Army. And on the eve of the end of the Civil War, which no one sort of really knows, it's kind of like the same thing happens in the Witch Way Tree. Um, They don't have the internet uh, back then, so news travels slow. So, like, when they say, hey, the war is over, that that word needs to get out to everybody, and it takes a bit. Um, So it's like the end of the war, and he's playing at an event for the families of both the Union soldiers and the Confederate soldiers. And he meets the governess of a very cruel Union colonel. Um, Her name is Doris Mary Ahern. She is from Ireland, and he is smitten. But because the war is now over and the colonel is going off and she's going with the family, uh, they do have to part ways. And so they go about their travels. But Simon can't forget her. He can't stop thinking about Doris Mary And the rest of the book is kind of about how he travels around for several years, uh, hoping to one day be uh, reunited with her. We learn about, like, his past, and there's uh, stuff about his mom and how she is a big part of his life. Uh, There is something that uh, ties in with the News of the World novel that came out prior to this one, um, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And there's so much beautiful writing about his music and how he feels about music and music that is played, which is not something that, as someone who has read literally a hundred books about the Civil War, both fiction and nonfiction, is not something that like I've seen mentioned really. Like they don't talk about music a lot or or uh, in a book about the Civil War. Um, and I just I just thought that was great. You know, it's a and it's a beautifully rendered landscape of uh, post-Civil War Texas and the politics in the country. I say that with the caveat that I was not alive then, so I cannot actually attest to the fact if they are accurate um, 
Or, you know, I don't remember being alive then. So I certainly feel like these days I could be 155 years old. I don't know. But um, so it's just it's such a wonderful novel. She's such a great writer, Paula Giles. And I highly recommend reading News of the World if you haven't read it. And picking this one up, it is Simon the Fiddler by Paulette Giles. And now we are going to hear from another sponsor. Okay. What do you have for us next? Okay, I really love this one. My next book is What You Become in Flight by Ellen O'Connell Woodit. Uh, trigger warning real quick for discussions of eating disorders and sexual assaults. I don't mention them graphically or anything, but they are in the book. So just know that before you go in if you decide to. So this is a memoir, me- mem- a memoir, a memoir, yikes, that I read in pieces. And I'm actually not all the way done with it because I had to take breaks, but it's beautiful. It's just you kind of, depending on where you're coming from, you might have to as well. Funnily enough, I think Ellen O'Connell Woodit is also a teacher at UC Santa Barbara, as was the author of the last book I talked about. So it's an unintentional theme. But I picked up this memoir because it is at least in part about ballet, which you will know if you see the cover. It's got a picture of someone in like a full jeté in a, in a, a leap. I used to dance. I love dance. I'm obsessed with dance. So I was like, yes, let's get into this, not quite realizing what kind of a memoir it was. So Ellen O'Connell Whittett was a dancer, as she says, from like the time she could walk. She loved it. She was immediately moved. And so like so many of us tiny ballerinas, she dreamed of being a professional dancer and started taking ballet lessons when her family moved from California to England when she was quite young. I don't remember the age. But so she trained for years at the British Royal Academy of Dance, which is allegedly like a very, very rigorous program as most professional ballet tends to be. It is no joke. And she kept up that technique when she moved back to California. She's essentially this whole time describing really the high that she got from that rigorous regimen. Like she loved it. She loved the power, the satisfaction of pushing her body to do these impossible things and impossible positions, you know, testing her strength and flexibility. And if you've ever seen any, you know, ballet performance ever, dancers, it really is just ridiculous what they're able to do with their bodies, especially if it is someone that's been training since a very young age and has kind of honed that flexibility. So that's the like good fun part. (laughs) But, you know, she goes into the hard parts about it, which was that everything that she also got a bit of that high from was also, you know, it has a dark side, a dark history. In Ellen's case, all of that training, that pursuit of like physical and artistic perfection, you know, took a huge toll on her, not only emotionally, because that's definitely a thing, but of course, literally physically by the time she finished college she sustained this like whole litany of injuries the major one being a spinal fracture ow that brings essentially her you know dreams of being a professional to a screeching halt she that's the end of her career and then in you know the path leading up to this point and then after that gets into you know the fact that she slowly as unfortunately is often the case in these really rigorous kind of dance trainings and and in the dance community, she develops an obsession with limiting her food intake. And it kind of creeps up on her, but she realizes, especially once she's stopped dancing, that that same obsession she used to have with training is now something that she's obsessively, you know, she just sort of like supplanted one obsession for another. And now she's really, really into watching what she eats, which of course that's putting it nicely. It is like hugely, hugely disordered eating. She unfortunately sustains an attack. She is assaulted by her partner. And from there on out, just sort of has to figure out who she is. You know, she's now lost the thing that she thought was going to be not only like her life's passion, but her career, a person that she trusted, violated that trust in the most like, egregious way possible. And she just doesn't know like how to pick up the pieces. 
but eventually does, you know, figure out how and has, has this really beautiful kind of redemptive arc. It is hard to read at times, again, especially if you have any experience with any of the things I just mentioned. And it's not that it's necessarily gratuitously graphic or anything. It's just, it's it's so real. She really does write really elegantly. Her prose is, is really gorgeous. And she manages to make even like beautiful sentences out of some of the terrible things that she's talking about. But it is, in some ways, like a really familiar story that you're kind of going to recognize from the very first beat. But it's just told so eloquently and it is ultimately yes about ballet and dance and like passions and like readjusting when life throws you a curveball um but that redemptive part like of actually picking up the pieces and not just being satisfied with what like happened after but actually quite happy with it is uh, it was a nice little bright spot again i haven't like all the way all the way finished it i've got like 20 pages left but it was one i had to take my time with but i, I did like it very much so that is what you become in flight by ellen o'connell with it okay as I mentioned at the start of the show, um, because dates are moving all the time, uh, I know that Vanessa had a pick that she wanted to talk about that got changed, and I had some books that got changed. Uh, so I picked up a new book simply because I saw pictures of it on Instagram, and it's enormous, and I cannot say no to an enormous book. So I picked it up. It is, and I've read very little of it. I mean, that's, that's the other part I wanted to mention because I, I did <laughs> just start reading it. Um, it is called The Eighth Life. For Brilka by Nino Haratrilli. And it is 936 pages long. It is an epic saga set in Eastern Europe. Nino is a Georgian author who then moved to Germany for 20 years and then now lives in Georgia again, I believe. I was looking looking at an article about her. Um, And this book is set over a century. It involves a family, a secret recipe, and the history of the world and Eastern Europe at that time over the next century. Um, Each chapter, there are seven chapters, and like I said, this is 936 pages long, so those are some long chapters. Uh, Each one is about a different member of this family, the Jashi family, uh, and While they're each narrated by a different member of the family, it does sort of follow events in the world chronologically. This I only know because I looked it up because, as I said, I've only read some of this. I am in the middle or the end of the first chapter, so I have not read much of it. But it is captivating, just absolutely captivating. And so what is going to happen, from what I have read, uh, is that you learn about the influence that each of these family members has on an eighth person. The Eighth Life, as the title is, who is Brilka. Um, And it goes from 1900 and follows the history of Russia and the Tsars and Stalin and Georgian history and the World Wars, the dissolution of the Soviet Union, right up until the 21st century. Um, So, like I said, I'm only in the first chapter, the first part, which, like, each chapter is almost like a book in itself. But... It's so wonderful. It is exactly what I wanted it to be. It's won several awards. It was nominated for the um, International Man Booker Award. It won some other awards. Uh, And I do plan to continue to slowly read this um, because it's so good and worth just like sinking into. And so that is The Eighth Life for Brilka by Nino Haratrilli. That is a big book. You are a good person. Oh my goodness, it is. I, I'm I'm so weird. Like, I don't know why. Like, some people are like, I don't like to read big books. I'm like, I don't care what that's about. I want it, you know? <laughs> it is about saran wrap. I would like it. And so I saw this online and 
it just had a beautiful cover. And then I saw on the cover, I said, winner of something award. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I want that one. So, and the, the sad part of all this is that because of everything that's going on, uh, I'm just reading a PDF on my computer. Oh. I can't even hold the giant book. Oh, but, you know. Worst things happen, so. <laughs> Indeed. Yes, yes. I have to keep reminding myself of that, because I do like a physical book, but I understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> what happened was, for my last pick, even though Liberty kindly reminded me to check my list and make sure that a book hadn't gotten pushed, and I knew one of them did, so, like, fine. I somehow managed to, the second time around, also pick a book that got bumped because I write our audiobooks newsletter and was living in like the audiobook release land and the audiobook of it isn't coming out until next week. So anyway, I scrapped it last second and also have gone for one that I have not even come close to reading most of. I'm in like the first 20 pages. Um, But I am reading the Happily Ever After playlist by Abby Jimenez. I will confess that I'm really new to reading romance, not because of any judginess. It's just sort of a thing I didn't gravitate towards. And as of late, because I think it's just a really beautiful balm for the soul. I've really gotten into it. It's And I'm kind of on a kick. So I was like, well, let me keep it going. So this one is about a woman named Sloane. So Sloane Monroe, it's been about two years since she lost her fiance. And she just can't seem to get it together. Life is hard. She's not, you know, wanting to date or get romantically involved. And life in general just feels like a bit of a mess. But then one day she finds a puppy that appears to be lost. And he's got these little like, please give me a home, you know, eyes. And so she decides like, sure, I'll have a puppy. And it changes like her life. She loves having this dog. It's her her new best bud. She becomes one of those people that has like the dog with her everywhere she goes. And she's starting to feel good, feel better, feel a little more like herself again, as you know, pets I have heard have that effect on people. And then after weeks of unanswered texts, because she has indeed been trying to find who the dog's like real owner is, but since she didn't hear back, she's like, well, you know, this dog is mine now. Tucker, which is the dog, his his owner reaches out. He's like, oh my bad, I'm a musician, I've been on tour, but like, thanks so much, can't wait to have my dog back. And she's like, oh, see, the thing is, he's like mine. <laughs> and it's she doesn't know what to do. Like, she is thinking that she's not about to give this dog up without a fight, but then of course, like, he le- you know, Tucker doesn't actually belong to her. He belongs to his other owner. And there was just like a misunderstanding. So they start to, because he's still in Australia. So they're uh, the he being the owner of the dog, Jason. So she and Jason, you know, are constantly in communication. She's trying to figure out how she's going to break this to him. But then their texts turn into phone calls, very flirty phone calls. And so she realizes like, hey, this this might like be a connection. Like, is this something that I might want to pursue? She's not sure if the chemistry is going to translate once they like meet in real life. And since his music career is like going good, you know, is he even going to stick around? Like, is this worth getting invested in when it may very well just turn around and lead to like yet another heartbreak? So it sounds really lovely, which is I I don't have pets. I don't I don't date. (laughs) So like none of this necessarily pertains to me, but it sounds so like sweet. And again, romance has been a thing that for me anyway, it's it's new, but it's also just like kind of soothing. It's nice to read something a little, I, I don't know, I'm weird, where sometimes my comfort reads are incredibly high stakes and murdery. And then other times it's stuff like this, where it's just like, oh, there's somewhat of a happy ever after and maybe some kissing and other things. Um, so yeah, this is really fun so far. Again, I'm not that far into it, but I, I think it is going to be a happy read regardless. So that is the Happily Ever After playlist by Abby Jimenez. Okay, those are our new books. What are you going to read next? I am excited. I have never read Terry Pratchett before. 
and I, right huh. before we, you know, all went on, like, lockdown, <laughs> I'd gone to, like, the Powell's friends and family sale with a bunch of the PDX girls, and I picked up Witches Abroad, so I think I'm going to start there this weekend. <laughs> all right. What about you? I got my hands on a copy of the Alyssa Cole thriller, When No One <clears throat> Is Watching, which is very exciting. I have read um, many of her romance novels. Yeah, uh, but this is her first thriller, and I think this is like her first big publisher. I think so. This one is a William Morrow thriller, and they're pitching it as Rear Window meets Get Out. So okay, uh, I'm very excited, and I know that Jamie started it a couple days ago and was whining on our book Slack about how she just wanted to read the book and like stop working. So <laughs> that's a good sign. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, and I think I might be hallucinating. It, it could be all the staying inside. <laughs> um, but I think that she sold the movie rights too. I could be wrong. but Or like TV rights maybe. So it's all going to be very exciting for Alyssa Cole. Uh, so that is it for us today. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our sponsors. Uh, you can drop us a line at allthebooksatbookriot.com if you want to talk to us. You can find us online. Vanessa hangs out on Twitter. Uh, it is... Oh, wait, no, not Twitter anymore, right? It's Twitter, Instagram. You pick one. I'm making stuff up. Um, you can find her under <laughs> uh, Buenos Dias SD. I hang out mostly on Instagram at Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time because we used it all up trying to get sound. <laughs> but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.